what our research set out to understand mm. what do we need to do to build trust in an autonomous vehicle? What does the customer experience need to feel like? Where is the value in it for the customer? And what we realized quite early on is that the public aren't quite ready and the technology is quite not ready. Hello and welcome to Bringing Design Closer and this is HCD. Our goal is to have conversations that inspire and help move the dial forward for organisations to become more human-centred in their approach to solving complex business and societal problems. My name is Jerry Scullion, I'm an educator, I'm a podcaster and I'm the host of This Is HCD based in the wonderful city of Dublin, Ireland. Now in this episode I speak with Stephen Russell, a service designer and now innovation manager at Stagecoach Bus in the UK. Now we chat about autonomous buses, a project that Stephen has been working on for quite some time now. And now, no longer in the realms of movies like Back to the Future 2, one of my favourites, it's not too far away, folks. How far away, I can hear you ask? Well, at some point this year, Edinburgh will hopefully become one of the first cities in the world to start rolling out the service in an R&D capacity. Now we chat about all the ins and outs about the process that Stephen went through in the creation of the service and discuss what the service might look like, maybe some potential service failures and other industry dependencies like insurance. It's a quandary there that we've all probably discussed at some point, who is responsible in the case of accidents. And also how to prepare society for the visual of seeing a bus with people driving down the road with no human driver at the wheel. It's a really good episode. Now, if you like what we're doing at This Is 8CD, you can please help us out by doing a few things. First of all, did you know that only 8% of our listeners have subscribed in their podcast app to the podcast? You can help us out by subscribing to this podcast wherever you're listening, or you can leave a review wherever you're listening to the podcast. It only takes a couple of minutes and really helps the findability of the podcast. You know what I'm going to say next, folks. You can go one better by becoming a patron on thisis8cd.com where you can get an ad-free stream of the podcast for as little as €1.66 per month and also get a shout-out as thanks. There's other plans there where you can get exclusive items too. Literally all the money goes towards editing, hosting, maintaining a website, which is now a repository for human-centered design goodness for over 250 episodes. I know, it's amazing. Let's jump straight into it. I'm delighted to have you here. Um, I've been checking you out on LinkedIn for, for quite a while. And we, we managed to reach out a couple of months ago or a couple of weeks ago, maybe. Um, and, you know, we're going to be chatting a little bit more around your role at the moment in um, Stagecoach Bus, which is uh, in Scotland. So maybe we'll start off, though. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself and how, how do you describe what you do if you're, I know you're recently at a wedding and I'm sure people come up to you and they, they might have asked that question, which I hate, by the way. What do you do? How would you respond to that question? Thanks, Yuri. Yeah, and just just for having us on, um, I was over I was over in Ireland for a wedding, and so I saw part of part of your part of the world. It was lovely. Um, yeah. yeah. So my name's Steve. I, I work with Stagecoach Bus, and I'm an innovation manager. And so my my main role this now is uh, looking at autonomous buses and how how do you de- design that service? How do you make that work for for our passengers? Right. That's going to be a big conversation. Okay. Cause it's not something that you're like, you get your Lego bricks out and you just start saying, okay, well, we'll get rid of the driver and strip away that the whole ecosystem is going to change. Like, you know, but maybe before we get into that, tell us, you know, I know you studied, um, service design in Glasgow. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I started, I studied masters in service design and innovation at the Glasgow school of art. Um, it was actually quite lucky. I, I was uh, 
I, I suppose I was I was working full time in Tesco after my honours honours degree. Um, yeah. I'd been trying to work on a side project, and uh, some government funding became available to go and study a free masters in service design. And I was like, oh, that sounds really? close to product design. So yeah, jumped at the chance. That's awesome. Like, so your background when I look at this, you studied sports engineering, was it? <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, I suppose in, in secondary school, I wasn't quite sure what I wanted to do. Um, yeah. And I, I, well, I wanted to go and become a joiner. And my mum sort of said, mm. no, no. Yeah, if you've got the grades, you should try and go to uni. Um, and <laughs> I was sort of pick some words that you like. So I liked PE and I, I liked tech studies. So sports engineering sounded like a good a good combination of the two. Um, but then you so can that, that, Sorry, you continued on into product design then, I see. Yeah, so uh, sports engineering was sort of designing products for the sports industry and there, and there was some classes that I just couldn't get my head around, um, anatomy and, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah bi- biomechanics was a, was a bit much for, much for me. Um, yeah. And I ended up swapping over to product design and innovation. I, I realised that I, I, I quite liked the business elements of it as well. It, it wasn't just mm. coming up with an idea. It was sort of, how, how do you take that, that to market? Um, and then I transferred over to product design. Awesome. It's um, it's an interesting kind of back background that you've you've accumulated because product design, and then you're in service design um, for the last maybe ten years, I suppose. You've you've co-design officer for Young Scott, and now you find yourself at Stagecoach Bus. Well, what attracted you to this role? Like, what's what are the challenges um, that you you face as innovation manager for Stagecoach Bus? What attracted me to the role was Mm. previously I was working for a consultancy uh, and we were working on a similar project. Uh, The the consultancy was an arm of a a transport services group. They they developed things like ticketing. They they offered customer service in in the background for for the transport system. Um, And they had a project looking at when autonomous vehicles come to market, what kind of services are they going to need? Um, So I was doing similar work for them. Uh, and we developed a proposal with with Stagecoach um, to to look at designing f- full size autonomous bus, um, and that went into a government funding competition, um, and won. <laughs> but unfortunately, the company that I was working for at the time decided to cut their R and D arm, so I got made redundant from that role. Um, oh, nice. And there was sort of a hole in in this project that had been funded, um, so I, I got um, employed by Stagecoach to to do to do the work, which I, which was. Um, the service design aspects, the user research yeah. aspects, um, working so how, quite closely with Napier University. So, how far along are you in the journey of this becoming a reality? Um, of autonomous vehicles moving people from Glasgow to Edinburgh <laughs> or wherever it may be. How, so, where are you at? So, in in terms of getting one on the road that works, yeah. We're very close. A couple of months wow, ago, we really? were expecting to be launching a, a public service that delivers enough value that the passengers would be expected to pay for tickets rather than just just a demonstration. Yeah. Um, but in, in terms of it actually being a commercial success, which you see rolled out further, um, right. we're still at the very much R&D phase validating that um, what, what the technology is saying that it can do, it, it can do. Yeah. So what cities around the world have this? Um, ability at the moment to have autonomous vehicles. So we are arguably going to be the most ambitious autonomous bus mm. project world worldwide. Um, we're the first ones doing it. Uh, yeah. Mixed traffic up to fix uh, up to up to fifty miles an hour, um, and what's lo- known as level four redundancy, 
um, right. which is quite a complicated one to explain. <laughs> so yeah. autonomous vehicles, mo- mo- most cars that you see nowadays have some kind of autonomous functions. So lane keeping, mm. parking assist, uh, all, all these kind of things are certain levels of automation. Um, when you look at Teslas, they're level three in that as a, as a driver, you're still expected to have your paying attention to the road, ready to intervene, but the car is effectively driving itself. Yeah. Um, level four, which is what we're going for, is in theory, there shouldn't need to be a driver there. If anything goes wrong, yeah. the system will have backups in place that, that it can steer, steer itself safely to, to, to stop if anything is going wrong. Because in my research for this episode, I couldn't find anything. There was there was people talking about it, but there didn't seem to be anywhere. So that's it's it's true. There there is no city in the world really at the moment that has autonomous buses. There's there no. there, has, there, there has been de- like demonstrations. Yeah, 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 and and this is going to be the first one that, that's a, a sort of ticketed service I we think, expect. I think when I came home from Australia in 2018. I think there might have been, I think I saw in the news and I couldn't stop laughing. There was a big demonstration, and this is no disrespect to anyone in Ireland, by the way, okay? There was a big demonstration of an autonomous bus moving from A to B in a straight line down the road. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember kind of going, well, I'm miles away from that. If if you, you've got the TV crews coming out and it's just the bus, it's like a remote control bus. Um, so you're you're saying that it's pretty close. Like, how far is that in terms of you know months or years? Are we talking this year? Yes, yeah. Um, so we've we've said that we're going to launch this service in the springtime. Obviously, with any innovation projects, there's risks associated with that, and that's why we've yeah. not put a date on it just yet. Okay, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, we're going through the final uh, sort of testing approval process, um, and expect to launch in a couple of months' time. That's that's going to be super cool. So okay, a couple of months ago, in Jan- January, just there, we actually had our first passengers on board. Um, so that this was a a, a group um, that came together early in the project, and they've been on mm. on the journey with us, helping to critique some of the stuff that we put together, uh, taking part mm. in the research, um, and and they were our first passengers. So there was twenty three people on board, um, experiencing it as if as if it was was in live service. So here's some of the the questions that come to my mind. How is it going to change for a a, 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 a passenger on that? Do they have to wear a safety belt? Um, what's the what's the differences between the two experiences, or or are there any? Yeah, so I suppose that this is what what our research set out to understand. Um, what what do we need to do to build trust in an autonomous mm. vehicle? Um, what does the customer experience need to feel like? Um, where where is the value in it for for the customer? Um, and what we realised quite early on is that the public aren't quite ready, and the technology is quite not ready um, for an unstaffed bus. There's things that our drivers do on board the bus that's that's not just the driving. Um, things like taking tickets, offering uh, offering reassurance information, mm. things like that. Keeping the service accessible, helping with boarding. Uh, yeah. Bus stops are not uniform. <laughs> Um, yeah. So yeah, helping with board and things like that. Um, so what we've sort of said is that um, going forward, when you think about a full-size autonomous bus, it would still have a member of staff on board. And okay. that, that member of staff wouldn't be driving the vehicle. They would be able to come out of the cab and interact with passengers. So for the length of our trial, we're going to demonstrate that. When we will have somebody moving about the saloon, um, taking tickets, reassuring passengers, answering questions, helping with board and all that kind of stuff. Um, 
which arguably should should really um, improve the customer experience. Um, mm. and they're they're not up at, up at the window fumbling with their with their cash, um, trying to get the bus going that kind of thing. Um, there's much more more time to talk to the the, the, the employee that's on board. So that whole human experience, we've we're starting to touch on it here a little bit more around providing change, providing reassurance, you know, wayfinding in many ways of local knowledge. It all becomes part of it. So it's kind of reassuring that that person is still in the saloon, as you'd say, walking around, talking and building relationships and reassuring. What other aspects in your research did you see um, were really important to be called out in the service? And how did you go about that? You mentioned trust there a second ago, but was there anything else you want to build on? So, yeah, I mean, the, the three core things that, that came out of the research was trust, customer experience, and, and the value that it's actually going to have. So mm. in, 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 with trust, it was really understanding the capabilities of the technology, understanding what's been done to, to make sure that it's safe. Um, mm. so, so one of the things that we're doing as part of the project is, is making our sort of safety case publicly facing. So we'll, sh- we'll share all, all the information that, that, that we will share the information about the high we will share a high level overview yeah, yeah. of all the testing that, that that's sort of been done to reassure the public that, that we're not just putting this out there it has been tested it is safe um also having a a big name operator like ourselves stagecoach involved safety is one of our is our mm. number one priority so um so that really helps um to, to have a, a family name involved um in terms of customer experience I mean, autonomous vehicles in general is quite an abstract concept. When you you talk to anybody, everyone's got a different opinion, and it's mainly based on pop culture, whether it's the Batmobile, Knight Rider, Johnny Cab, any of these that sort of stick in their head, maybe the Terminator. (laughs) These are all the sort of images that spring to mind when people think about automation and robotics. Um, What we want to try and do is is make it seem much more normal, and and that's what we're doing through keeping much of the wraparound service uh, is you be able to interact with it with timetables on the, on the usual stagecoach website through your third party journey planners all, all these kind of ways yeah. to, to book plan pay for your journey and then once you board the only real difference you're going to notice is that the member of staff can can move about okay there's a thing there that you mentioned there a few minutes ago like that a lot of vehicles at the moment have some of these uh, autonomous functions or features already built into them lane assist being one of them now, I've got a car at the moment that when I'm driving it and got lane assist on, um, that, you know, the way it works is it identifies the, the straight lines that are the side of the car. And when you when you move over one line, it kind of pulls you back in sort of stuff. But what I tend to find is <clears throat> whenever there's roadworks going on and you have to kind of intentionally move over those, or if there's a cyclist that is too far over the lane, I'm being pulled in and sometimes when the cyclist breaks their line and I swerve to avoid them, it pulls me back in and I have to have this adverse reaction. I'm like, no, 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 car, I'm trying to save the passenger. (laughs) So we're coming onto that topic where you knew most people will have this conversation. How does a bus make that decision about when there's roadworks and this is a normal piece? Well, what's the underlying technology and, and how is it being... How does it determine safety? Okay, so the I suppose if I start with how the system works and yeah. so how it's programmed in that, that sort of situation. So it's sort of programmed to make 
cons- make decisions in a loop consistently. So it sort of asks, where am I? What's around me? What should I do next? And it asks that constantly in a cycle. So it uses mm. certain GPS as an internal map of its 3D surroundings yeah. to say, right, I'm in this location. Then it uses its sensors and a database of shapes to know what's around oh, it, how okay. they're moving. Uh, <clears throat> and then what should I do next? It's obviously got fleet management software that's saying, I'm going on this route, so I need to make these movements to control the steering, the mm. brakes, the power chain, to, to make the bus move in that direction. Yeah. Um, it's got a, what's known as an operational design domain programmed into it and that's the sort of area that can it can operate and it's, it says if, it, if it's on this route you can put it into autonomous mode and it will drive itself fine if there's something weird that is not built into the programming in that then it will bring itself to a safe stop and it, it okay it, it won't deal with it so if it's roadworks that have going to be there for any length of time you can potentially build that into the operational design domain and it will okay. take a detour but if it's something that has just sprung up then potentially it will just yeah. stop and, and wait for a human to make a make a decision. So in terms of the edge cases there where it just brings itself to a safe halt, is the person in the saloon then uh, able to recommence the journey or is there a case of like a little red flag comes up and a balloon pops up from the roof kind of going out of service? <laughs> what, what's that experience <laughs> like? Yeah, so in, in the future, we see that as being part of the captain's role. Okay. Where they will they'll be able to return to the cab, take over the driving, and and go around whatever the the, the barrier is, mm. whether it's a, a diversion that takes it outside of that mapped area, um, or just something that's a bit confused about. Um, yeah. But for the time being, to comply with the UK government's code of practice for testing these type of vehicles, we're going to have a safety driver in the seat monitoring the technology. So if it did come mm. up to something that the technology wasn't sure how. How to deal with the safety driver would mm. take control and and steer around the the roadworks basically around the roadworks. And that, that's obviously about... well. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, and that's while the the technology is a prototype, um, while we're still learning to make sure it is safe for for all members of the public. Yeah. So, what are the sort of things that you can leave? Um, relatively low fidelity in this kind of sense for us because the risks are quite high when you're saying okay well we can't release uh, a first draft in this and say we'll iterate from that point on what are the deal breakers in terms of um determining when it's ready they're the, the bits that i'm really interested in when you move from that sense of prototyping into okay now we're ready it's functional who determines that so we we have like this the safety case that I've, I've mentioned mm. it, it covers a range of things it's has the technology been tested is the vehicle itself been approved are we taking all the operational training type precautions that we should be to put it into mm. into service um, and that, and that's really what what um we need to get right before it's signed off to to have passengers on board um so far we've we've got it right to a, to a stage where we can be testing it out on the route, and we've been doing that since April last year, uh, and we're just going through the final testing now. Um, at, at that stage, it will be approved by senior leave, senior level executives from the commercial partners, and then it's all audited by a third-party group of safety ex- experts uh, to make sure our processes are all in place, uh, and then we can then we can register the service and open to passengers. 
Um, and that, that auditing of the, the safety case, that, that was encouraged by um, the, the government body, the, the funder CCAV, uh, which stands for the Centre for Connected Autonomous Vehicles. Right. So there's there's a whole range of stakeholders are involved in this in this project. Um in terms of the 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 scalability of what we're looking at here at the moment, what does that look like? Is it just going to be localized to Scotland or because I know Stagecoach Bus bus they work across the UK, is that correct? Yeah, yeah. So we're we're the UK's largest bus operator. Uh, about 8,000 vehicles. 25,000 right. staff and we do about 3 million journeys every week. Wow, okay. So it's it's a big deal. So in terms of the um the rolling this out across all over the UK, is that something that's uh planned for this year? <laughs> no, no, not at all. Um no? the that this is very much a, a first sort of research and development type project. Okay. Um, the reason that there's a lot of stakeholders involved is that um, it's it's part government funded to, to de-risk the R&D for everybody that's involved. Um, right. So we've got the, the tech supplier, the, the vehicle builders, um, we've got sort of cyber simulation robotics experts um, from Bristol University. It, Bristol Robotics Lab, even, uh, and mm. a sort of societal research support from, from Napier and, and the Roads Authority, Transport Scotland, all involved to, to try and put this, this technology onto the road and, and prove that it works. Um, mm. if, the, if the project wasn't a sort of collaborative thing, then I suppose the, the operator, Stagecoach, would have had to fund it all themselves. And I'm, I'm not exactly. sure if we would have done that in, in that sort of guise. Um, yeah. So that this has all come together to do it collaboratively instead. So the, the staging or the this kind of rollout of the prototype phase is effectively what, what we're talking about that could happen this year. Um, yeah. Yeah. So then the, the the full rollout after that, how many years or what does that look like in terms of into the future? I just want to know when I can go and get from Glasgow to London. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you if you come up to Fife and would like to travel into Edinburgh Park Station and um, buy autonomous bus in the springtime, you can come and have a shot. <laughs> um, but, but, <laughs> there are seatbelts seat on, on the buses. <laughs> but, I, would, I would come wearing a, a shell suit from the 90s and I'd be all puffed up. So uh, I'd be like, go on, let's go. <laughs> we're, 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 always, uh, we're always looking for VIPs and famous faces to come and get the photo taken on it. So <laughs> that's, that's not me. You know all the VIPs in design in Scotland, Sarah Drummond. There's <laughs> we've already sp- been speaking about Sarah, like you know. But um, so, but yeah, so, so that sorry, the projects ahead. the projects very much research and development. And once it's on the road, it'll be monitoring the the KPIs, uh, monitoring um, the benefits of the technology to make sure it is it is driving safer, it is driving yeah. smoother and more fuel efficient. The customers are having a better experience. All all these things that we can use to build a, a business case for future uh, for a future rollout. So, what what impact um, would other industries have on this? Because I remember years ago when I was reading into this whole space, the the autonomous vehicle space is moving very very quickly. But the likes of the more rigid structures, say insurance, um, find it a little bit more difficult, well, they did anyway, a little bit more difficult to insure these vehicles. Who is at fault? Who is responsible? Who's accountable for the safety? Um, where are those industries at at the moment? Are they, are they capable? 
Yeah, so there, there's been a few of these style government-funded competitions mm. um, that have led up to our, our project, and recently more funding has been announced. Um, and there's been insurers, AXA, for example, that have been involved in those discussions, looking at yeah. how do you insure an autonomous, autonomous vehicle. Um, what's really interesting is that the Law Commission's recently come out with a, a report suggesting recommendations yeah. to, I'm guessing it goes to Parliament, to to mm-hmm. how these laws should be framed in the future, uh, and it, it does suggest that um, it's not it's not the operator that's liable; it's the the system the, the system provider that would then be liable. Software. Yeah, that, that would need to be liable in the event of an accident when when that's engaged, right. of course. So um, in that and, and, those, and, and those recommendations will will take their time to go through Parliament to, be, to become what okay. the future laws. So in a sense, the brain, the software, the the intelligence, that's a third party. Is that correct? Then that provides the intelligence for the vehicle. Yeah. So so that will be one of the one of the partners. The one of the vendors. Yeah. So they're the people that get scrutinised and have to go through the the kind of the vendor um, kind of process of making sure that you can get insured against that brain if you want, so to speak. I'm trying yeah. to bring it down to my own language here, Stephen. Yeah, so so cur- currently for, for the length of our trial, um, Stagecoach mm. self-insure, so we, we're, okay. we're able to cover, cover our vehicles under that and our existing policy for what we have mm. insured for. Um, but the way that the legal framework works this now is that you need to have a human monitoring the system 100% yeah. of the time who is therefore the responsible person. Um, so yeah. our safety drivers who are monitoring it with their hands off the wheel, they they would be legal liable if anything went wrong. But in the okay. future, when you can take the safety driver out of the cab, that'll be when the law changes to to make the, the mm. software. So what kind of changes do you see happening across the broader customer service uh, ecosystem or just generally the service ecosystem? You mentioned there about ticketing accessibility all of these really really important pieces um how is this going to disrupt that ecosystem and how are you designing for those changes so uh, uh, as i sort of said I, I think this in this use case where it's a full-size autonomous mm. bus the autonomy the automation doesn't make too much of a difference because you're, you're still going through mm. your customer journey in very much the same way you're still check checking if your bus is available on on a on a timetable, on Stagecoach yeah. app, that kind of thing. And you're still turning up at, a, at the infrastructure, the bus stop or the, yeah. or the station, whatever. Um, the, the difference is your customer experience when you're on the vehicle. You've got somebody that's a wee bit more um, able, able to be a little bit more hands-on, able to speed up boarding, able to offer a little bit more assistance than they could have, um, that kind of thing. But there is there is quite a lot going on within the transport space that, that is is quite interesting. You get things like uh, electrification. Um, there's a big push for to electrify the fleet. I think Stagecoach have about 300 electric buses this now. Okay. Um, we've recently announced Inverness was the first fully electric city. Um, and there's other things like we've been piloting on on demand services where uh, one bus. Um, almost acts like an Uber, and it'll, it'll go around and pick up people in sort of rural communities using an app. Um, cool. All of these should should in theory make make transport systems better. In yeah. Ways. Can I ask you a question that you might kind of go, "Oh, Jerry, I'm not too sure about this." Um, let's talk about service failures, okay? Because that's the stuff that really excites me. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> 
where do you think the potential service failures might lie if the fleet was to go fully autonomous? That's a good question. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, it would it would put a substantial risk in that the company would be reliant on one vendor, mm. and you would be reliant on, I suppose, software updates. And if you're rolling out a, a new software to straight across the fleet, yeah, yeah, there, I that think there would be. be I could imagine it being a risk. The glitches and the bugs, like like a normal software rollout. Yeah, that, I think I think that would be quite an interesting one. Um, but I, I suppose as as a company, we would be trying to take steps to to not put all of our eggs in one basket, yeah. or absolutely or look at how, how that that rollout process works. In terms of the interfacing, then with the local city councils, um, how close do you have to work with those people to maintain? the data repository that the, the buses work from on a day-to-day basis or a minute-by-minute basis? Like if there's a car crash and there's a five-lane kind of pileup, you can deviate that. What, what, what kind of services do you have to rely on for the effectiveness of the service to maintain, to avoid service failure? In, in those cases, we, we uh, the, the bus timetables and all, all that are put up to a central hub and third-party mm-hmm. journey planners and things can can scrape all that and um, to keep to keep the service the, the public informed of if services are running or not. Similarly, we've yeah. got a stagecoach app that you can live track your journeys on. Um, we've got control system that gets updates from uh, tra- Transport Traffic Scotland on any any sort of major road closure closures, weather warnings, things like that, and then they can push out to the the drivers and the buses um, to let them know of any any sort of diversions or um, mm. delays that they might expect, and they can shout back to the passengers saying, "Yeah, we're going to be yeah going to be another thirty minutes." Yeah, absolutely. It's it's a whole um, kind of revamp of the ecosystem because nothing is really. I, I know you might say it's not a whole revamp because st- standard parts are standard, like people still need to get on the bus and off the bus, but. For, for many people, it would be a kind of a huge leap forward to see a bus driving down a road and kind of going, that bus is driving by itself. Um, how, how do you feel um, society can really prepare itself for that? Because I was speaking to somebody recently and we were talking about whenever mobile phones came out and then people had the Bluetooth headset and they'd be walking down the road. And I used to stop and go, sorry, sorry, what did you say? <laughs> and they'd be like, they just keep on walking. And I'm like, how rude. And then I'd see it a few days later, someone else. And I'm like, oh, no, they've got something in their ear. What is that thing? Oh, they're having a phone call. Oh, you look like an idiot. Um, And that was the whole kind of piece of getting getting prepared and, and things were changing. What steps do you think we need to do to prepare people for that level of change? Being able to see a car or a bus going down the road. Because I think that'll really improve the accessibility and the whole kind of interest of getting on the bus. Yeah. And I've been around a few different trials now. And I think what's really mm. interesting is when you watch people that maybe signed up or have crossed the path of the autonomous service and they see yeah. it, they're sitting, they're sort of standing nervous, apprehensive, almost like you're about to get on a roller coaster. It's like, being <laughs> a fairground, like oh, this is going to be exciting. Yay. And then they get on and two minutes later, the novelty has completely worn off because yeah. the vehicles are designed to be safe. They're not driving like you're taking yeah, a Land Rover off-road and having great fun. They're, dri- they're designed to be safe. Um, yeah. 
So that exposure, and then they will disseminate that to their friends saying, oh, I was on it. How was it? Oh, yeah, it was normal. Quite boring, actually. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so I, I think that I think that is what's what's going to normalise it. Having services available to the members of the public mm-hmm. that, that they can try it, but maybe not in some of the guises that we've already seen. So, um, for example, you get sort of small pod vehicles that will go around pedestrianised environments, mm-hmm. um, and the struggle is for some people. It's like, what 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 value is that for me? And it's it's looking at use cases where. The people that are going to get on board are actually getting value out. It's something that we can imagine using day to day. Going, mm. yes, that that actually fulfills a need in my life, or somebody else, or somebody that I know's life. So, in terms of um, improving the service, is there a reason there to say that buses, in theory, could run twenty four hours a day, three hundred and sixty five days a year? Is that something that you would see being a lot more easy to execute? I mean, I mean, some buses already do do that. It's it's just where where there is commercial demand, and mm. I, I suppose in the case of autonomous vehicles, it's really trying to understand the the cost benefit trade off and and yeah. what that means for a commercial model. Um, as I say, with our full size autonomous bus, we're still expecting there to be a member of staff on board, so you don't get that operational saving that that, that is. A lot of people assume is this sort of sales pitch. Like when yeah. we went into this project, many people say, what does it mean for driver jobs? And what we're seeing is there's still going to be a human on the bus, so it means the role changes a little bit, but yeah. we're not putting anybody out of a job. Um, okay. That's what, that's what a big that. thing, I'm sure, across Stagecoach Bus. You know, for might even be people listening who are bus drivers and Stagecoach Bus, and it's reassuring for them to hear that, that their role might evolve to become more human, which is something on this podcast we're always talking about like we never want to make people redundant using you know technology like this um especially design we want to make sure that we're improving the human experience and if we can do that then that's it's a fantastic thing like you know yeah there, there have there have been um other projects recently that, that we've mm. uh, announced funding for and um, that are looking at different use cases they're they're exploring mm. places where a full-size bus might not have been viable uh, so okay. it's things like linking up linking up a business park with an itinerary route or a small shuttle in the city centre that doesn't actually go very far. And in these scenarios, we could maybe imagine putting on a, a sort of smaller vehicle that might have been unstaffed. But that's what we're okay. going to explore next. And again, these these aren't scenarios where we're replacing a full-size bus that had a member of staff on board with an unstaffed vehicle. It's mm. we're, we're trying to provide a service that with a different mm. vehicle, different business model. Do you see buses um, versus, say, trams? I know, like, Dublin at the moment, we've got the Lewis system, which still hasn't really evolved in the last 15 or 16 years. It's still two two lines. Um, how do you see buses and trams kind of uh, intersecting in the future? Is is it safe to say that buses may eventually kind of see their their kind of decline and and trams the tram system being more effective or how do you see them running parallel congruently one of the, one of the arguments for autonomous an autonomous system is yeah. actually that 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 very use case it's trams are very very disruptive and very expensive to put in whereas yeah. if if you could put in a larger autonomous service that ran maybe with not on a track um, yeah. What would that look like, and what what's the business case behind that? So that that's some of the feasibility studies that I believe are getting done this now, um, mm-hmm. to to look at. 
and even in, within cities like making them more bike accessible versus bus centric is that something that you know it's very easy for us to get you know kind of excited about buses and autonomous whereas there seems to be a, a much bigger drive globally to remove vehicles from the city center and move into bicycle led and you know scooters and stuff like this i know tier mobility georgie who, who's a friend of mine is the cbo and tier mobility and they they do an awful lot of work in this and creating the, the broader ecosystem of electric driven mobility um is that something that you see that maybe the autonomous vehicles are more for the, the broader metro system or is it still something that you see in the future where buses will still have a place in say 10 years time within the city center do you have any thoughts on that I think I think it depends how it all comes together. I mean, there's a lot of interest in things like transport hubs just now, where mm-hmm. uh, potentially all the the trains, the buses, all link up outside the city. Then smaller shuttles take you inside. There's nice buses, nice electric scooters, and walking routes into the city. Um, so you can sort of imagine st- stuff like that ha- having mm-hmm. its place. Um, but the, the larger, densely packed vehicles um, are the best way to. To, to move people and avoid congestion. It's the single occupancy cars that are... Yeah, the problem. problem. Yeah. yeah I, I really like the the sort of... The, the, it's like an inverted travel pyramid where it's like walking and wheeling, then you've got bicycles, then you've got the shared transport, then you've got yeah. taxis, cars, planes underneath. So Absolutely. where the priorities, where the investment should be going. Stephen, look, this is a huge topic, right? And I'm, I'm trying to keep it relatively compact um, uh, so people can listen to it and digest it and come back to it. But if people want to follow Stagecoach Bus, I'll put a link to Stagecoach Bus's uh, LinkedIn page so they can follow the, the development. But if people want to reach out to you, because I'm sure people will be interested in staying up to date on what you are doing with Stagecoach Bus, what are the best ways for people to get in touch with you? So you can find me on LinkedIn. I think I'm Stephen J. Russell. Yeah, uh, yeah. Or I'm on Good Twitter, up. which is uh, Steve Has Ideas. Uh, I'm not on Twitter very much. <laughs> but... <laughs> That's awesome. Stephen, look, I, I like to wrap up every episode with um, a little thank you for your openness, uh, talking to me you know, about stuff that pr- probably is still kind of relatively high in the air so really appreciate giving me the time and the energy today to to chat to us um so thank you so much no problem it's been great jerry thank you for having me there you go folks i hope you enjoyed that episode and if you enjoyed it and want to listen to more why not visit thisishcd.com where you can learn more about what we're up to and also explore our courses whilst you're there thanks again for listening